bad things happen to good people. If there is an all-loving God, why is there so much evil in the world? Today on Evidence and Answers, you'll hear Dr. Norman Geisler, one of the foremost defenders of the Christian faith, answer these questions. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. This is a program that presents the truth of Jesus Christ and answers the sometimes difficult questions that all of us ask about God. Today, Pat presents Dr. Norman Geisler before a live audience at a recent conference in Hawaii where Dr. Geisler addressed what's known as the problem of evil. Today, we'll hear part two of this two-part series. And we want to remind you that there are a multitude of resources available online at evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including interviews and teaching from Dr. Norman Geisler. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Now, Norman Geisler answers the question, why do bad things happen to good people? There is tragedy and tragedy often comes to us. You and I have experienced it and we all have this question. If God, why evil? Why do bad things happen to good people? And when you and I face crisis after crisis in our life, when we look at natural disasters and human disasters, where there is one thing for certain we can say. My all good and all powerful God will someday defeat evil and give me the reason why he allowed that to happen in my life. How can God defeat evil? Because he allows everyone to freely choose their destiny. So freedom is preserved. You see, in a free universe, you can't defeat evil by destroying freedom. You can't say, look, you're free as long as you do what I say. It's like me saying to my son, I'd like you to be a doctor, and he grows up and becomes a plumber, so I shoot him. Well, he wasn't free, was he? And I wasn't really a loving father, was I? If God creates free creatures, he has to allow us to make a free choice. And if we make the free choice, he has to allow us to live with the consequences of our free choice. He allows everyone freely to choose their destiny. So he defeats evil by separating good from evil. There are only two kinds of people in this world. The kind who want to go God's way and the kind who want to go their way. Now the only solution to that is ultimately separated. It's like the problem of smoking and, and passive smoking where you're breathing in someone else's smoke. There has to be a universe in which people are allowed to smoke. And there has to be a place where people are allowed not to breathe smoke. Guess which one was heaven and which one is hell in the illustration. Uh, you don't need much imagination to figure it out. He has to separate the good from the evil. He has to allow the wheat and the tares to grow until the harvest. But ultimately, you have to separate the wheat from the tares. I used to work on the assembly line in Detroit, my home, when I was growing up. It was a good job, but um, it was an exposure to the world because there were only two kinds of people on the assembly line, good and evil, those who were believers and those who were unbelievers. And I learned something very important. You know what bothers evil people? Good people. You know what bothers good people? Evil people. You know what bothered me? They were swearing, they were cursing, 
My righteous soul was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, as the Bible says. It just bothered me to have to breathe their smoke, hear their smut, live in that evil environment. You know what bothered them? Me. I'm reading my Bible. I'm memorizing Bible verses. I'm sharing Christ with them. They just assumed I would go away. Now, there's a solution to that problem. You know what it is? There's got to be ultimately a place where there's no more evil to bother good people. It's called heaven. There'll be no evil to bother you there. There'll be no one blowing smoke in your face, as it were, cursing in your presence. There'll be no more evil to bother good people. And you know what the flip side of that is? In hell, there'll be no more good to bother evil people. You want to do your thing? You want to have it your way? You've got it. Have you ever been in a room with five spoiled brats? How would you like to be in a room where everyone was doing their own thing? Where everyone was doing it their way? The difference between heaven and hell is the difference between the warm-up before the orchestra plays and the symphony. In the warm-up, everybody's what? It's terrible. But when the master stands up, and he strikes the baton, and they all are doing the same thing. We've got a concert. We've got harmony. Heaven is harmony. Hell is disharmony. By separating good from evil, by quarantining evil forever. Now, quarantine is kind of an old word, you know. We used to quarantine contagious diseases. Now we legitimize them in our society. But you know, ultimately, there's only one solution so that we can't catch the disease of evil. Evil has to be quarantined. There has to be a place where there are doors, where it's locked, where the people can't get out, where they cannot spread the cancerous disease of evil on any more people. That's the only way there would be a solution to the problem of evil. And by punishing evil in hell and rewarding the good in heaven. If there is no day of reward for justice and of judgment for injustice in the world, there is no good and all just God. There must be a heaven and there must be a hell or there is no justice because you don't always get justice in this world. Now, if God is all just and you don't always get justice in this world, there has to be another world where justice will be given. If everybody doesn't get their due reward in this life for the good they do, they don't get recognized, they're never on the platform, uh, your name is never mentioned, there's going to be a day when you're going to get your just and due reward. And then God has to defeat death and Satan. What is it that frustrates in this life is that it's short and we die. For by one man sin entered the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 5, 12. We are born with the propensity to sin and the necessity to die, said St. Augustine. Now, it was done officially at Christ's first coming. The neat thing about being a Christian is that not only do we know the solution to the problem of evil, 
because Jesus paid the price for every sin that has ever been committed or will ever be committed on the cross when he said, it is finished. And when he offered up one sacrifice forever and sat down at the right hand of God, he officially defeated evil forever. But the devil's still loose. It's not actually defeated. So at his second coming, Christ is actually going to defeat evil and put it away forever. And that which we long for, a perfect world, a paradise that was lost being a paradise regained, is actually going to occur when Christ returns again. Now, what's the guarantee of that? Well, he fulfilled all of the prophecies, almost a hundred of them, for his first coming that were predicted in the Old Testament. Do you think he's going to fulfill the rest of the story? You bet he is. And the proof of it is that when he officially defeated evil on the cross, he gave us the guarantee that he's one day going to actually do it. Here's what it says, Colossians 2. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Or Hebrews 2. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus also himself, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Someday we're going to be able to say, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Jesus said it, and he promised it for us. And he's going to actually fulfill it in Revelation chapter 19. When John said, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Yes, evil will be defeated. How do we know? Uh, it will be defeated. Uh, we know it will be defeated because uh, God uh, has promised it uh, by the first and second coming. Now, this leaves us with a very serious uh, uh, problem, and that is to know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey put it. Uh, why we don't know a good purpose for all evil. How do I get through this life? It's wonderful to think that the whole thing is going to turn out well in the end, but how about the loss of my loved one? How about uh, the loss of things in this, in this life? And I want to address that uh, problem because it's where we all live. And the problem uh, is this, an all good God must have a good purpose for everything. But there's no good purpose for some suffering. For example, useless or innocent suffering. Give me a good purpose for throwing babies up in the air and catching them on bayonets. It's been done. Give me a good purpose for shooting babies in the arms of mothers. Me lying in Vietnam. It's been done. Give me a good purpose for 
much of the evil that occurs in my life. There is no good purpose for some suffering. Hence, there cannot be an all-good God. He might be finite, or there might be no God at all. Atheism or a limited God might be a solution, but not the God of the Bible. Response. Just because we don't know a good purpose for evil doesn't mean there isn't any. A guy by the name of uh, Dr. Mavrodis, who has a PhD in philosophy, taught at the University of Michigan in the philosophy department, wrote a little book on belief in God in which he made this very important and fundamental distinction. Just because I can't tell you why you suffered that tragedy, just because no one can't tell you why you did, doesn't mean there isn't a purpose. Just because we don't know, doesn't mean there's no God. See, there are two choices. God is dead or we're dumb. Now, it's far more likely that we're dumb than it is that God is dead. There's ample evidence for God. An all-good, all-knowing God knows a good purpose for everything, including evil. Now, some evil seems to us to have no good purpose, but an all-good God has a good purpose for everything. So what seems to us not to have a good purpose, an all-good God has a good purpose for everything. He knows the good purpose. So even evil that seems to us to have no good purpose has a good purpose. How do we know? Because there's an all-good God and he's all-knowing. If he's all-knowing, he knows everything. If he's all good, he knows a good purpose for everything. And if you don't know the good purpose for the evil you're going through, he does. In other words, I don't know why, but I know why I don't know why. And there is comfort in knowing why you don't know why, and knowing the one who does know why. And that's where faith comes in. Faith comes in because I trust in an all-good and all-powerful God, I trust him so much that though he slay me, Job said, I will trust him. I trust him so much, and I've tested these words under fire. When I got the tragic news that our daughter had died a tragic death, and I had to drive two hours through streaming tears like I was in a submarine, and I tried those words. And they are true. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you that trusting in the God who knows, even though you don't know, is comforting. Is comforting beyond imagination. Why we don't know a good purpose for evil? We don't know everything. We don't know the end of all things. But an all-good God knows both everything and the end of everything. So the secret things, and here's a comforting verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but unto us and to our children, the things that are revealed. I don't know why, but I know why I don't know why. I don't know why, and it's not revealed to me to know why. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. His ways are unsearchable and his judgments are past finding out. If you try to understand everything in this life, you will drive yourself crazy because there isn't an answer for everything in this life. Now we see through a veil, a glass darkly, then face 
to face. Paul Harvey became famous for the rest of the story. A friend of his was dying of cancer. He was only in his 20s. Paul Harvey went to encourage him, and the young man gave Paul these encouraging words. I do not believe that the divine architect of the universe ever builds a staircase that leads to nowhere. One thing you can be sure, you're dying of cancer. I've had cancer. I've survived uh, cancer. I may get it again. I could die next week. I could die today. But one thing I am sure of, that the divine architect of the universe never builds a staircase that leads to nowhere. If it doesn't look like it's going anywhere, it is. It is. The divine architect of the universe knows the rest of the story. Now, God didn't leave us without any knowledge of why things are evil. Some pain has a good purpose. If you get a sharp pain in your chest, it has a good purpose. You better go and check it. You might be having a heart attack. You get a sharp pain in your tooth, you better go to the dentist. You get one in your lower right side, you might have a burst appendix. Warning pains are good pains, and we all experience them. A toothache, a pain in the chest, a pain in the lower right side. In fact, I've lived long enough to be able to say this with a good bit of confidence. We learn more through pain than we do through pleasure. I always take a survey at this point. How many of you learned some enduring lesson about life through pleasure? Usually no hands. How many of you learned some enduring lesson of life through pain? All hands. That's why when C.S. Lewis wrote his book, The Problem of Pain, he said, the problem isn't why is there so much pain, the problem is why isn't there more pain? Because if pain is so helpful, if pain is so effective, why isn't there more pain? Few enduring lessons are learned through pleasure. Most enduring lessons are learned through pain. Here's the greatest line in C.S. Lewis' great book. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Let me put images on that. You're lying on the beach, the breeze is blowing through the palm trees, you're seeing the waves lap on the shore, and God is whispering, it's good to be alive. You're speeding down the highway, 70 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, and you see a red blinking light in your mirror, and you feel a little knot in your stomach. It's called conscience. God speaks a little louder in conscience. You're lying in a hospital. Your leg is up in the air. A finger is sticking out here. You're wrapped up like a mummy, reeking in pain. God is shouting to you, I've been there. I was lying in the hospital dying of hepatitis. The radio came on, Senator McCarthy died of hepatitis. Not a good feeling. <laughs> a couple years ago, I had, uh, uh, I caught sepsis. If you're a medical person, you know that's on a lot of death certificates. Many people die of sepsis. It's a, you're attacked by vicious uh, uh, evil bugs in your body and it uh, kills you. I clunked out for three hours. I'm dying of sepsis. I'm in the ER room. I woke up, and there are two things you don't want to hear in the ER room. Oops. <laughs> oh, no. And I had just vomited up blood, and the doctor said, oh, no. He told my wife, I don't think he's going to survive. Not good news. Not 
good news. But you know what? God shouts to us in our pain. It's God's megaphone to arouse a morally deaf world. What does God through, do through allowing suffering? Hear the word of the Lord. You intended to harm me, Joseph said to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. They threw him in the pit. They left him for dead. But look what God did through that. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Is there anybody who loves to be disciplined? Is there anybody who loves to lose loved ones? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Looking at it from the hindsight of eternity, this little speck of time, even if you reeked in pain for 70 years of your life, you had pain all day long, every day of your life, and lost everything you had and all your loved ones, from the standpoint of eternity, you will be able to say, my light and momentary troubles achieved for me a far greater and eternal weight of glory. Now this world is not the best of all possible worlds. Candide uh, was right, Voltaire in his satire. But it may be the best way to the best world, since evil has to be permitted to be defeated. How do you defeat the champion? Say, I'm the greatest? No, you gotta get in the ring sooner or later. You gotta get in the ring. Permitting evil is necessary to produce higher goods. No courage without danger. No patience without tribulation. Here's the painful lesson of life. God is more interested in our holiness than he is our happiness. God is more interested in our character than he is our comfort. There is a verse that says, I am holy, be holy. There is no verse that says, I am happy, be happy, saith the Lord. None. God is more interested in developing our character than he is providing our comfort. There is no character without adversity. No pain, no gain. Seen in a lot of locker rooms, every athlete knows what it means. And there is no forgiveness without sin. There would be no people around the throne in Revelation 5 thanking God and praising the Lamb for shedding his blood for us had he not permitted us to rebel against him and bring the good out of it. The best way to the best world, this is not the best possible world. God is the best being possible. Now the best being possible must accomplish the best end possible, but this world is the best way to the best world. Therefore, making this world was the best way to achieve the best world possible. Making a world where God knew Adam would sin, for it's better to have loved than to have lost than not to have loved at all. Making a world where he knew Satan would rebel and sin would enter the world and he could provide forgiveness through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how oft I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. C.S. Lewis, said it in these profound books, the best book on hell outside the Bible ever written, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. 
He said, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. It's got to be that way. It's a free universe. He has to allow us our freedom, but he has to separate the good from the evil. Which side are you on? Milton in Paradise Lost put these profound words in the mouth of Satan. Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Now Milton didn't say this, but here's how the Bible would respond. You've got it. You've got it. You want to reign in hell or do you want to serve in heaven? Do you want to say, thy will be done? Or do you want to hear God say to you, thy will be done? Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers today with Pat Sukarin. And our prayer is that we answer the hard questions that all of us ask and that we equip you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And if you're a seeker or a skeptic, we hope we've challenged you with the various evidences which support the claims of Christ. There are a multitude of resources available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Interviews with leading scholars, past shows that you can download, and we deal with topics from atheism to Zen Buddhism to Islam to the occult, the cults, agnosticism, and contemporary issues which faces today. And by the way, when you purchase our resources, you keep Pat Zuckerman speaking out all over the world. Help support a quality apologetics program for radio and podcast and Pat's speaking engagements on college campuses and churches all over the world. Evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Evidenceandanswers.org. For Pat Zuckerin, I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence. 